how do we see our kids succeed realistically? Um, I think too often we tell our kids that they're awesome and everything and don't give them room to fail. So then when they do fail, it's a huge fall flat on your face, want to give up type of failure. And, and we see it all across our culture. I mean, you know, I tell my kids now, my son, Jude, who is seven, you know, American Idol is kind of going on, and, and we fall way behind, and we usually stop after about the Hollywood weeks. We're like, yeah, let's watch a tryout so we can laugh at people. But so he'll get on the fireplace, like the fireplace man on, he'll start doing his thing singing, and we're like, oh, yeah, you're awesome, you're awesome. And he's not. He, <laughs> hopefully he will never try out for American Idol because he will blame us because he's a terrible singer right now. Now, that could be that he's just seven and he just doesn't have the natural gift yet, and he may be an okay singer one day, but more than likely, he just won't be a good singer, and we'll have to break that news to him someday, but we constantly tell our kids they're awesome at everything, and don't allow that room for failure, so that when they do fail, it's a healthy thing that you can improve on. In fact, there's tons of shows that make money off this, like American Idol. So many people, our favorite part about American Idol is that first week tryouts because we get to hear all the terrible people who think they're awesome. To the point, in fact, I don't know if any of you saw this, but years ago, there was a show on the WB called Superstar. Has anybody remember that or heard of that show? Okay, so here's, here is the premise of that show. And this, and my wife and I got sucked in, and it was like watching a train wreck every week. It was so bad, but we just could not look away. But the premise of the show is, I think they saw what happened to American Idol, so they went, we're going to make a show like American Idol, but the worst singers, we are going to tell them that they are awesome and let them keep believing that to the point of the winner of the show is the most worst singer of the worst singers. And these poor people had no idea. I mean, they would sing their hearts out, and the judges were like, that was amazing, that was so moving, great job. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's what my parents artists told me, too. But there you have it. Robert sings from his heart, which I think maybe Robert needs Jesus to clean his heart out, if that's what comes out of his heart. But here is Robert, who has been told by probably the people who love him most, hey, you're awesome. You should go out there and, yeah, you have a beautiful voice. Because they don't want to hurt his feelings. Because they think, oh, if we do this, we're doing them a favor. Whereas what they did to him was a terrible disservice because now he went on national TV going, yeah, I'm awesome. I move, I move people when I sing. And people laugh at him because nobody challenged him to go, hey, maybe this isn't your gift. you got several other gifts, but maybe singing from your heart should not be one. So Jeff is going to give us just a little more info of how do we walk through that with our kids? How do we set our kids up? In a sense, so hold with me, how do we set our kids up to fail, but, but in a healthy way? How do we encourage them? How do we not give them this false sense of success? So let me pray for our time. Father, thank you so much, God. Thank you for the gift of children and the gift of parenthood. God, I know that there's some days in our lives where uh, some of us may feel like it's a curse is parenthood, but we know, God, that, um, that there are ups and downs, and that's what makes the ups beautiful. And so, God, we just ask that you... Equip us with wisdom, God. Sometimes it's hard to, to try and figure out how to raise our children in this world um, and raise them in such a way that uh, they are captured by you and run hard after you. And so, Lord, um, 
Give us those ways, your ways. Speak to us through your word so that, God, we may become better equipped parents. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name. All right, thanks, Rip. Uh, I, too, am an American Idol fan, and I, I do feel for each time somebody gets up there. And, you know, usually if you've seen this, some of those seasons, they'll leave when, they, when the judges tell them they're no good, and they'll walk out, and the parents are like, they don't know what they're missing. You're the best. And you just think, oh, wow, you know, that kind of uh, false sense that we can do to our children um, in not letting them fail or not letting them have a, a sense of reality. My own daughter, Lexi, uh, when we were talking to her about taking dance lessons, she would twirl around and say, I don't need to take ballet lessons. I'm, I'm a great dancer as it is, you know, and she would do her thing. And, you know, when they're little, we encourage them all the time. Yeah, you are. That's great. We love it. But that's not really dancing. I mean, that's not the kind of, the, uh, of trained dancing and things like that that we're talking about. Um, Tim Amore, in his book, uh, Mistakes Parents Make, he pitched, uh, would pitch to his son out in the yard in baseball. And his son, he talks about, had a false sense of his abilities because he would always pitch very easily to his kids, you know. And his son would knock it out, you know, and hit the ball every time. And then he actually tried out for the baseball team and the real pitches were coming, you know, and, and he struck out. He couldn't hit the ball. And if we're not careful, that's the kind of thing that we can do, right, with our own kids. We, we want to, uh, to rescue them, or we can even give them a false sense of, of what's real and what's reality. And I think in the old days, we did not, this kind of thing, and I'm thinking not the old days like just 20 years ago, which for you that may have been the case, but if you go back 50, 100 years ago, most of life was bent around our kids growing up, knowing life wasn't about them, right? It was difficult. Times were hard. I mean, we even have this, uh, this new commercial with the settlers. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, we've got a clip, I think, of the settlers. And life was, like, life was different back then. Dear, why don't we switch to DirecTV? Now, Mother, we are settlers. I've settled for cable all my life. But DirecTV has been number one in customer satisfaction over cable for 15 years. We find our satisfaction elsewhere. The boy has his stick and hoop. The girl, her faceless doll. And you have your cabbages. And you have your foot stomping. I sure do. Don't be a settler. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. You know, those are, those are humorous commercials, but thinking about just how difficult life was back then, how much kids growing up would have been working by their parents would have been struggling hard just to survive. I mean, every, everything they did all day long would have contributed to the household's needs. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my success. It wasn't about, um, you know, how, how I'm growing. And, and so, so much of our everything that we do now is kind of individualized for our kids. We don't often ask them, and I'm just thinking of my own household, how much do they sacrifice for the family as a whole? And so we are constantly this struggle of developing happiness versus developing character, right? Happiness versus character. Happiness is a huge value in our culture right now, but character development is often happens and takes place through difficulty, through hardship, and through failure. If you think about it, even all of the movies, the sitcoms, everything that we do, most things wrap up in 30 minutes in a nice little bow, right? And, it, and you have conflict at the beginning of the show, and in 30 minutes or an hour, it's taken care of, and everything's happy and great. All the books, the movies, 
everything is happily ever after, right? By the end, that's what the, even the children's stories we read to our kids, you know, it's happily ever after. It's about that, that ending, that happiness. And we have preachers, right, who will even, in today's society, it's a, it's a gospel of God just wants you to be happy. And that's really what it's all about. And that doesn't develop the kind of character that we want. And so how do we allow our kids to fail and experience hardship? Because that is the crucible by which God develops character. And if, we're, if we think back into our own lives, we'll see that same process. If you think through the things that we've experienced growing up or even through adulthood, right? Often it's our failures were the times where we grew the most, where we re relied on the Lord the most. And yet we want to keep that from happening to our kids. And we affirm that failure is a bad thing and so it should be avoided. And when we kind of go that route with our kids, it can, when they do experience failure, they can be paralyzed by it, like, like Rip was talking about earlier. They can freeze up, not know how to, how to handle it, instead of speaking into their failure and showing them Christ when that happens. So, um, Tim Elmore, again, in, in, was talking, in, when he spoke at Perimeter a few weeks ago, he was talking about that we value convenience so much in our society, for example, that hard things are considered bad. That's the unintentional message that is communicated, is that when you experience difficulties or hard things, that's a bad thing. And so this lack of failure that our kids can experience if we come in and rescue them all the time uh, in these different situations can lead them to have a false sense of reality and a false sense of who they are. Just like the American Idol or, you know, these guys get up to sing, they, they've always been told they're great, and they don't, re they don't have that sense of reality of what's real. Um, in Romans 12... Paul says this, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So even within the church, Paul was seeing this and experiencing this, that, that Christians could have a false sense of their gifting, a false sense of, of those things. I remember when I first came on perimeter staff, uh, David McNeely was on the youth staff and I thought, you know, I'm a pretty good speaker. Because most of the churches where I'd been at, I was, I was probably the best youth speaker that we had. And then, let me tell you, speaking with David uh, regularly teaching Watershed, it humbled me very quickly to realize, you know, I'm probably not at the level that I think I'm at. And it was great to, you know, even kind of recalibrate myself as to, as to what that's like. And so we have, we can have these, these false sense, and, and, it, and our failures often are what drive that or push that for us to experience that. So... One of the things is, do we share our failure with our kids so that they don't define us? Is that something that you do regularly? You, and Cammie and I were talking about this yesterday and, and just saying, you know, I think this is something I'm really bad at. I was even talking to Jason in the car on the way here. And I said, he said, what are you talking about appearing you today? I said, well, we're talking about failures. And I said, do you think, you think we share our failures with you like regularly? And he's like, no, no. I mean, that, that was like an epic fail right there. He was like, no, I don't think... I don't think you do. And I said, okay, well, that's something I probably need to work on a little more. Um, is that we don't share always the kinds of things that, that we're failing in. And, and these are where character is really built, um, through hardship and through failure. And so how do we do that appropriately? There's, uh, we've got a few situations in popular culture. There, these are people who um, probably a lot of them may or may not be believers, but even through Common Grace Insights, we can see how much failure shapes people. 
Um, this is a, a commercial that aired a few years ago about Michael Jordan, so we can see that. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. So 26 times he took the, the game-winning shot and missed. You know, uh, just talking about his, his failures that he's had. And, of course, we would look back and see incredible success. Uh, a quick pop culture moment. If I shared Michael Jordan with the uh, high schoolers now, a lot of them would have no idea who that is. You know, uh, just thinking about how quickly culture goes by. But I knew for this crowd that would be, it would be an okay clip to show. Uh, you have um, J.K. Rowling says this uh, about failure, and if you sh she's the one who wrote the Harry Potter series. Failure gave me an inner security that I never attained by passing examinations. Failure taught me things about myself that I could, failure taught me things about myself that I could have learned no other way. I discovered that I had st a strong will and more discipline than I had suspected. I also found out that I had friends whose value was truly above the price of rubies. The knowledge that you have emerged wiser and stronger from setbacks means that you are ever after secure in your ability to survive. You will never truly know yourself or the strength of your relationships until both have been tested by adversity. Such knowledge is a true gift for all that is painfully won and it has been worth more than any qualification I ever earned. You know, she tells the story of going uh, over and over again to so many different publishers with her Harry Potter idea and was turned down again and again and again and again. And that's what she has to say about failing. Uh, there's another one, um, the Sarah Blakely. Now, she's the founder of Spanx. I don't know. I'm sure none of you would know what Spanx are. But there's, you know, it's kind of like a thing that makes you look slimmer under your clothes. And uh, she had a really unique uh, childhood growing up. Her father believed uh, there was a kind of a motivational speaker named Wayne Dyer and he, one of the things that he talked about was failing and her dad was a huge fan and she said each day her dad would say so what did you fail at today and if there was no failures her dad would be disappointed uh, because focusing on failing big allowed her to understand that failure is not an outcome but it involves a lack of trying so you know, she had this experience where her dad just constantly said, if you're not failing regularly, you're not really trying to accomplish anything. And, and he invested that into her. And so when you really start to dive in, I started thinking deeply, what, so what about failure? What, what does it breed in us that allows us to really grow and shape that shapes our character? And if you think about it, failure breeds humility. Failure breeds humility, which is, I think, an something that all of us would like to see as a character trait of our kids, right? That they would be humble, that they would grow in this area of humility. Um, Proverbs 16, and most, many of us have heard this before, but pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride goes before the fall, right? We've heard that uh, forever, and this is where it comes from, is this, this passage in Proverbs. So, so humility grows out of our failure. The times that we fail... And that's a huge value. One of the other things that happens when we fail is we learn to ask for help. As we continue to fall on our face, it drives us to look around 
and lean on other people. That's another aspect. We want our kids to learn to develop great friendships, to seek Christian community, to uh, learn to rely on other people. And this happens often through this idea or process of failure. Um, failure is a pride killer. Hardship and failure work on just eliminating pride in our lives, which is uh, the root of so much of our sin. Um, and failure and hardship develop perseverance as well. And that's a character trait that we want to see our kids have. Paul talks about this again in Romans in chapter 5, where he says, Though we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in the hope of glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to, sh to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so suffering, hardship, it produces these things that are very valuable. It produces hope, ultimately. It produces perseverance, endurance, character. All of these things grow out of that idea. And we have to raise our kids with this idea that the re their response to their failures, their response to adversity is where they really grow. That's where the power is. That's where the strength is. That's where the character is built in how they respond when they fail. Failure is a part of life. Hardship is a part of life. But when it happens, how are they going to respond? And that's kind of where we need to think and factor that in. Looking through the Bible, just going through different characters and thinking about how God shaped them through failure and how he shaped them through adversity. Um, so many things just pop out. Like Jacob is a, a great example. I mean, he had a dysfunctional family. He betrayed his brother. You know, he, what must that have been like as he goes and works for his father-in-law? He gets tricked into marrying uh, the wrong woman. He works for years and years and toils you know, and so his whole life um, was under very difficult circumstances, and yet God made him, named him Israel, right? And all of the chosen people came from him, and through that hardship, and through who he was. Um, Moses killed a guy, you know, he killed an Egyptian, and then he runs off, and he wanders around in the wilderness for years, and years, and years. Why? That, the God's way of shaping people that he's going to use throughout history is so odd to me. It's not very efficient, and it doesn't really uh, come from just massive success. I mean, he, Moses, I mean, just think of him. He could have, you know, he was raised within the courts, the royal courts of, of Pharaoh. Why not just be raised up and then take the people and go? Like, why this whole jaunt for 40 years in the wilderness where he's wandering around? The, you know, so the way God does things don't make sense to me, but he values, his value system is so different from ours in the things that he values like that. Uh, David, you know, King David is one of those, he got anointed as a, as a child, the youngest brother, his, his older brothers didn't care for him much, you know, we see some conflict between them, and then he has that huge success of killing Goliath, and then he's on the run for years, hiding in caves, getting the spears thrown at him, you know, when he's playing the harp for, for Saul. What, do you ever think he was just crying out saying, Lord, why is this happening to me? I'm the chosen one. You've already anointed me, and here I am hiding in a dark cave. That must have been incredibly difficult, and yet God was shaping him to be a king. He was shaping him to, be, to lead his people in a way. And so these failures, these, these hardships, the things that they're going through, 
continue. We even see this with Paul, which to me is one of the starkest examples. You know, the Apostle Paul, what kind of things did he have to experience? In 2 Corinthians, he gives us just a glimpse, and you'll see some of these stories throughout the scriptures, but he says, five times I received by the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger from the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Okay, I don't know about you. I would have given up long ago <laughs> if that was my list. I think getting stoned just one time, I'd probably hang it up, okay? I, that's okay. I'd just been whipped like for the third time. A day and a night in the open sea? I mean, he's floating there. What was that like? Crying out to God, okay, God, I know you called me to do this. You can't just send a boat or something. You know, you're just drifting in the ocean. So, Again, God's way and the way that he shapes us is so different from our choice. For whatever reason, the suffering that Paul experienced, the, the failures as he tries. I mean, he's planning churches and experiences failure after failure. You know, and he is doing the, the Lord's will. And yet that is the way that he is shaping him and guiding him. So what is our job? Our job is to give wings to our kids in their failure. To remind them that failure doesn't define them and ultimately the most important thing is that we remind them that they need a savior right we remind them that in the love of christ he has accepted them so much they can look beyond they may not experience in this life incredible success but that they are so accepted and loved in jesus that they can handle any failure if you think about it the failures that we experience in this world pale in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in us one day right it pales in comparison to that, and we have to constantly remind our kids of that, uh, that these failures are obstacles to success, but ultimately their success is in Jesus. And we have this, uh, within Scripture, this humiliation exaltation scheme that goes over and over again in the theological terms, right? There's a humiliation that takes place, and then you're exalted at the end. Joseph is a great example of that, right? He's humiliated, and then he's raised up to be second in charge of Egypt. And of course, Christ is the greatest example of that. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is from Philippians. Becoming obedient to the point of death, and therefore, what happened? God has exalted him above all, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so as we talk to our kids, there's no promise that we'll be exalted on the earth, but we know that our ultimate exaltation will come because Jesus suffered the ultimate humiliation on our behalf, right? He suffered ultimate humiliation for us so that we will be exalted ultimately. And if we continue to point them to that, I think then they find that inner strength, right? They rely on the Holy Spirit in order to face the failures that they're going to face now. Um, so well, I want you to spend some time discussing around your tables. We're going to throw up some discussion questions. And these are some things just to kind of prime the pump in thinking about hardship and in thinking about failure of your kids. Uh, and, and so the first one is, did your parents let you fail or did they intervene? 
Discuss a time when God taught you through hardship or failure, and where are you tempted now to rescue your kids? Because I tell you, I'm tempted all the time to rescue mine. And so uh, we're going to spend some time going over those questions. If you're at a table alone, jump in with somebody else, or if you want to kind of fill up a table so you can have this discussion. And then uh, when we're done there, Cammie will come up and, and close us out. We had some really great discussions at our table um, about all of this. Um, for those of you that are new to Parent You, I'm Cami Summers. I'm Jeff's wife, and he gets up and he talks about truth, and then I get up and I tell you how this isn't really being lived out in our household. <laughs> so um, I do that not because um, because the honest truth is I really feel like um, God has called Jeff and I to do Parent University because raising teens is the opposite for me of my area of strength. I look at raising teens, and I was really comfortable with the babies. I was really comfortable with the toddlers, the young kids. I get consequences. I get rules. If you play in the street, you get a spanking. You know, all of that's right in my wheelhouse. But when you get into the teen years, you're talking about him. It's ambiguous. You know, you can't give an if-then statement to every bad choice your kid can make. And you can't expect, I mean, Jeff continually, when Tirza was first a teen, he would say, we're going to acknowledge she will fail, but we're not going to expect it. (laughs) And so much of my wanting to give rules and give consequences were around the idea of, of, of the parenting of younger kids, which is appropriate for them, but not necessarily as effective with teenagers. So God doesn't give me an hour once a month to talk about these things. Jeff and I talk about these things all the time as we're planning for Parent You, and and I think that's because I am such a failure at it naturally, (laughs) and this is so outside of my expertise. And so um, I just want to share with you the struggle, if you guys are struggling with this, these ideas. Um, I often feel like a failure as a mom. Um, it's easier for me to see what I'm not doing right than what I am doing. I see the piles of laundry and the unopened mail. I still have Christmas cards I haven't opened from people that sent them to me. Um, I see the gym membership I can never get to and the dirt in every corner of my house. I see, I hear my kids use harshness as they interact with one another, and I know that they're reflecting the harshness that they've seen in me. I see these things, these failures in glaring detail, and I often feel powerless to do anything about them. Um, What many of you might not know, ooh, there I go, what many of you might not know about me is that my job is to come alongside churches with stewardship resources, and real whole life stewardship, what I teach about is real whole life stewardship, which is the wisdom of God and the faith of God. And, you know, the wisdom is the budget and the finances and all that. And then the faith of God is the stepping out in faith piece. And I get this faith piece. Like Jeff and I moved to seminary with no income. I was pregnant and we bought a house and we depended on God to survive. Yes, that's easy for me. That's not hard. The budget elusive. (laughs) I cannot wrap my mind around a budget. I've been to Financial Peace University. I've done Crown. I've done Ron Blue. I've done every budgeting thing and still the budget, I just don't get it. 
I don't understand how when I pay my HOA twice a year, it figures into my monthly budget. It just doesn't work for me. So that, the wisdom of God is really tough, but that's as a job what I do. And so I'm continually talking about these things. And as I study them, I feel worse and worse. And I struggle with feeling like I'm just a really bad steward. There seems to be a disconnect between what I know and how I live. I want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But when I walk in Target, what I put in my basket is often only about me. And I have these great ideas when it comes to my teen about loving them, loving their unlovely parts. And then when I have to tell them for the 14th time to get their shoes out of the entryway or to unload the dishwasher, I lose it. And so this disconnect exists in me. Is that familiar to any of you guys? Between what you know and what you live? I hate it. It's not okay. I don't like it. I feel my failure to the depths of my soul. And what I feel like God has been whispering to me lately is this idea that God can use my failures and my weaknesses. Do you believe that? Do you believe he can really use your failures and your weaknesses? It's hard to wrap my mind around because in my society, it's always just this kind of try harder, right? We just need better systems. We need more discipline. We need more organization. I just need to try harder and make up my mind and, and change the way I operate. Um, it's hard, too, because I know that my two teens are watching me with eagle eyes, whereas I could hide it with my littles, you know, they're oblivious um, to this disconnect between what I know and how I live. But my teens are watching with eagle eyes, and they recognize the hollowness of some of my words. Uh, I've talked to them, and, and I know that they both struggle with the idea of failure. They're afraid of failing. And even though I say the right things about it, oh, you don't have to be afraid of failure. God loves you no matter what. You can take risks. I say all the right things. But am I willing to fail? Do I believe that God can use my failures too? If I'm honest, I don't. I mean, not really. As a kid, I ran for student council of my middle school. And whereas everyone else was standing up and giving a speech that was forgettable, I got this great idea to stand up and sing my name over and over and over so they would vote for me. I did. I was, it's time to vote for Cammie, for Cammie, for Cammie. It's time to vote for Cammie. My name is Cammie Cole. Not kidding, my entire middle school, I stood up and did this song. I don't know what it was like. I don't know why I did it, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. I wasn't elected. But at my high school graduation, people were still coming up to me and going, oh, you're Cammie, Cammie, Cammie Cole. Like from my seventh grade. I never outlived it. And what I learned from that failure 
was not only the embarrassment, but I learned that you have to pay for your failures, that it's not easy for them to be forgotten. And so you need to really work hard at never failing or don't try because you have to be willing to hear your song sung back to you five years later, ten years later. I promise you if I go to high school, if I go to my 20th year reunion, they will be singing that song at me. I promise they will. Um, so when Jeff stands up here and he says, you need to let your kids fail, my immediate reaction is, oh, no, not on my watch. I mean, not in all areas. There are some areas I'm really ready for them to fail in. But on those areas that I think are important, I'm not. I want my kids to succeed and just succeed because that's what I want to do. I just want to succeed. I believe I am securing God's love and that is that it is okay to take risks. But somehow that belief often doesn't make it into what I do. So if this is hard for you, like it's hard for me, Maybe we need to think about these things more than once a month. Um, you know, our heart for starting Parent University was that a community would grow. And I just want to ask if maybe we should pray for one another. I mean, in this area that's really, really hard. I know I need your prayer. Um, I don't want to straitjacket my kids with fear of failure. I want to give them wings in their failure. But even as we were talking around the table, I honestly don't know what that looks like. And maybe you do. And so maybe I need to grab coffee with you and you need to tell me what it looks like to give your kids wings in their failure. Because I know how it is to give shame. That I get. But wings? Like, what did J.K. Rowling's parents do or all the other people Jeff listed their quotes that gave wings in it? I don't know, and it's hard for me. So I do ask you to pray for me, and I do ask, I just thought maybe we'd end our time together with taking a few minutes and praying around our table for each other. Um, and then I would challenge you, you know, if there's somebody at your table or in this room, um, we would love for this community to grow, and that isn't going to happen once a month, honestly. I mean, you can sit and grab a donut and cup of coffee once a month at Parent U, the six times a year we have it. Um, but you'll only have a superficial relationship. It's those grabbing coffee, getting lunch, meeting for dinner, that's the deepest, that grows your community. And I'll be honest with you, Jeff and I find this incredibly hard in this season. I mean, we're running 20 different directions. Yesterday, the schedule was remade five times as things changed in our schedule. So I feel like this is the hardest season of life ever to connect with people, and it really takes more of a commitment because I can't tell you how many people who we know that are empty nesters that look around and have no community because they didn't fight for it and they didn't make it happen during this season when you have middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so I just want to challenge you to look around the room and, um, and pray about connecting with somebody apart from today um, so that we do grow a deeper community among our, 
our groups. We hope that that's why we sit you at tables so that you can know people in your neighborhoods and in that are closer to where you live. Um, so it would be more likely to be able to grab a cup of, cup of coffee with each other, e- even though I don't drink coffee. I drink tea, so I wouldn't grab a coffee, but you know what I mean. All right, so around your tables, I want to encourage you to pray for one another in the time that we have left. Um, are we going to do announcements after that? Okay, so we're going to give you some time to pray for each other. So share where you need prayer as the parent of a teen, please. So, um, so that's it. Y'all have a great rest of the day. We love y'all. We thank y'all that y'all came and joined us this morning. All right, have a good day.